members. So if you have any, that would be a great blessing. So how many of you have ever been on a vacation where you had to use either one of those long fold-out maps or one of those really big Road McNally road atlases? How many of you ever took vacations on? All right, good. So probably if you're under the age of 25, your hand is not up uh, because you have a a brand new system called GPS that's on just about every smartphone uh, nowadays. Normally, when I was when I was little, I remember my mom uh, sitting in the dri- uh, passenger seat, my dad driving, and them trying to figure out, you know, which road to turn off on next, and and uh, having no idea where rest areas were or fast food uh, joints. And, and and I really didn't care either because I was asleep on the back ledge of the car. You remember that? How you could sleep on the back ledge. Uh, my parents didn't care about my safety at all. <laughs> I'm just, and I didn't either. Uh, it, was, it was nice. I could wave at the police officers out the back window, and they, they just waved right back. Nowadays, though, we have a, a GPS system that we just type in an address, and it tells us how long to get, it'll take to get there. Um, it tells us, you know, what rest areas or stops, fast food, whatever, gas stations along the way. You don't even have to plan anything out. I recently, a few weekends ago, went to visit uh, and went, went up to Michigan to a place I had not been before uh, for my niece's wedding. I didn't even know where I was going. I simply put the address in and followed the directions. But sometimes the GPS gets it wrong. Uh, I remember doing some visiting around here in Page County. I typed in an address, and this has happened multiple times. I type in an address, and... I would follow directions on the GPS, and when I got there, uh, or sorry, as I was arriving, uh, it would tell me, you have arrived at your destination. I was on a gravel road with trees everywhere. I was not at my destination. Uh, that is not where I was. I was planning to go to somebody's house, and I didn't, I didn't even know the people. It was some visitation uh, that I was doing, and, and sometimes the GPS gets it wrong, and the problem is you don't know the GPS is wrong you get there and I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this especially some of you that have a little bit of of age and experience get into the car with someone who um, you know exactly where you're going you know exactly how to get there but they still use a GPS okay like why I know exactly where we're going if, that's, if you have ever experienced that feeling, you'll understand a little bit of the book of Galatians. Because what Paul is doing as he's writing this letter to the Galatians, he's writing it in response to them listening to someone that he knows is going to take them the wrong direction, and he has already laid out exactly what they need to do to experience eternal life. Paul has already told this this group of Christian believers that he preached to, planted churches at during his first missionary journey. He's told them that the good news, hey, the gospel says the way to God, the way one has a right standing with God, and the way one grows in God, it all comes through faith in Christ alone. But there was this group of Jewish religious leaders, and they're called Judaizers. These Judaizers were coming behind Paul and were telling the people, no, you need faith in Jesus plus. 
good works, specifically the good works of the Jewish religious system. And Paul, as we've been now two, two weeks in chapter 1, Paul opens up his letter by, by reminding them of who he is. I am an apostle that was called. I was not sent by men. I was called by Jesus. I brought you the truth. And these people who are talking to you are telling you fake news, not good news, fake news, and their gospel is not a gospel because there is no other gospel than what I have shared with you already. He was so upset. You could see the passion last week as he opens up in verse 6 to where we were. I'm astonished that you are turning from the God who called you unto himself. And the people who are telling you that, they deserve what the Greek is anathema. They deserve to be eternally cursed and eternally damned. Paul's just incensed. You know, there's some people today who believe that there are many roads that lead to eternal life. And as long as you're sincere in what you believe, you'll be okay. But that's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God tells us exactly what we need for eternal life and it never says the word of god never says that the quality of our faith the sincerity of our faith is what brings salvation the word of god says it's not the quality or even the quantity of your faith it's the object of your faith I mean, the Word of God says things like this. If you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. That doesn't sound like a big quality or quantity of faith. The Word of God says that you need faith like a child in order to come to God. That doesn't sound like a mature faith. That sounds like a very, well, just a simple faith. See, I think many of us don't understand that we can sincerely believe in the wrong thing. And when we realize, oh, I was trusting the wrong source, it's too late. We can sincerely believe in Buddha. We can sincerely believe in Allah. We can sincerely believe in the universe. We can sincerely believe in our good works. We can sincerely believe in the history and the tradition of our family and our church. But putting our faith in any of that is going to lead us down a road that will not take us to God. But the problem is, sometimes you don't find that out until you get to the end. So Paul is wanting his Galatian believers to say, you don't need to have a great quantity of faith that will move mountains. No, you just need a little bit of faith in the God who can move mountains. And that's where our hearts need to be. We're fickle. Our hearts are, man, we sometimes really struggle. But God wants to remind every one of us, it's not up to you. Have faith. Even if it's a little, have faith in me. And Paul immediately moves from correcting their gospel, he moves into his own personal testimony, which is so interesting because you wouldn't think that that really fits. But, but I, I want to remind you before we get into Paul's testimony that your testimony is one of the most powerful tools 
you have to witness to others. You can say, I don't know how to tell someone about Jesus. Sure you do. You tell someone what Jesus has done for you. And this is where Paul is going to go as he, he opens up. So last week we got through verse 9. Verse 10 is a really important verse, but I'm actually going to skip it because we're going to use it to tie all of chapter 1 together. So this morning we're going to start in verse number 11. In Galatians chapter 1, verse number 11. The Bible, um, Paul writes this. He says, For I you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel for i did not receive it from any man nor was i taught it but i received it through a revelation of jesus christ so pause right here paul is saying hey listen i'm going to tell you again i was called by jesus not by a group of men and see see the thing is many churches were sending out apostles and paul was saying i was not sent out by men i was called and sent out by jesus the resurrected jesus himself but then if you notice in verse 12 he says and i received this gospel through a revelation of jesus christ and what he's saying here is not only did jesus call me but what i'm teaching you i learned from jesus this wasn't what someone else taught me then i'm repeating that's what we do as 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 preachers today we're, we're repeating the word of god that someone has written down i'm studying commentaries and i'm helping repeat what others have paul's saying i'm not doing that i'm telling you exactly what jesus has told me so that's why i could stand and confront these false teachers and he says it is not a gospel of man and, and i really didn't fully understand that but, but here's what here's what one person wrote about this the gospel of jesus would never be man's gospel because mankind loves to be in control and if our way to god is through our own works we are in control and i thought wow that's so good and so the reason so many people in the world today think well my way to god is through my good life yeah that's because then i can control it they say well then what is the way to god grace but I can't control grace, right? That's why it's not man's gospel. And the message from God, the good news from God is that no matter how much good you do, you cannot remove your sin. So I've made a way for that. That's really good news. You see, if we think that my way to God is through all the good works that I do, well, we can still pile up a lot of good works, but we'll have to admit, we still have some sin in our life. And do you know why we can't be with God in the condition that we're in? It's not because we don't have enough good works. It's not the, it's not the absence of enough good works that keeps us from God. It's the presence of sin. Pile up as many good works as you want. What are you going to do about the sin? Sin separates us from God. And so the good news is, <laughs> the good news is that Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life so that the pile of good works we have is 
far surpassed by our Lord and Savior, Jesus. But not only that, he's willing to take our pile of sin upon himself. At the cross, he suffered the wrath of God's justice against sin. And if we, through faith, believe in the person and the work of Jesus, we'll stand before God one day with the works of Jesus on our record and the sinlessness of Jesus on our record. And that's good news. But see what these false teachers, these Judaizers were were doing is they were trying to say, no, you need to have faith in Jesus, but you also need to have these good works to present. And Paul said, no. No, that's the gospel of man. The gospel, the message of God is grace. The problem is grace offends us. Grace is very offensive. You see, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. There is a natural default in our heart and in our mind to say, that's not fair. That's not fair. And you're right. Grace isn't fair. It's a gift. And praise the Lord. It's a gift that's offered to you. The gospel of grace is the gospel of God. It's the gospel that he gives to Paul and says, go teach and preach this, that grace is your way to God, not your works. So Paul then begins to share how he experienced God's grace. Look at verse number 13. He says, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, How I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Again, I want to pause here. Do you see the seeming contradictions in these two verses? In verse 13, he talks about persecution, violence, and destruction. But in verse 14, he talks about achievements, promotion, and zeal. Now, if you don't know anything about the Apostle Paul prior to his transformation, becoming a follower of Jesus, he was a very devoted Jew. Somehow, I know when I was younger, I used to think of the Apostle Paul as like some terrible gangster criminal. Like he was just, he was a violent, vicious, terrible man. He was a devoted practicing Jew that regularly went into the synagogue. And and in fact, the Apostle Paul likely had more of the Bible memorized than probably most everyone in here and possibly more than everyone in here combined. They had to know the Old Testament. He was completely devoted to keeping the Jewish holy days like the Sabbath and keeping the dietary laws like what you can and cannot eat and and the customs like sacrifices and circumcision. This man was a completely dedicated religious follower. But at the same time, he was a violent man who persecuted people that preached a message contrary to what the Jews believed. So, so you see, he's this, he's this perfect candidate to stand up when the Judaizers were coming in to say, here's what you have to do. Paul's like, no, I've been there. That's not what you have to do. Let me tell you what Jesus said you had to do. But, but before we go into that, like, I am, I am just absolutely amazed because 
Like it, as I was even studying it this week, it raised this red flag in my life because I'm fully persuaded, fully persuaded that the pre-conversion Paul, whose name was Saul, I'm fully convinced that I would have been one of his good friends. I was fully convinced of that. I was fully convinced that the Apostle Paul, prior to his conversion, could walk into most churches in the nation today and fit right in. You say, no, no, he was a murderer. You remember how Jesus says that if you think in your heart about adultery that you've committed, adultery with that woman if you have hatred in your heart you've basically committed murder i mean i i think the apostle paul would fit right in into my life because you know he's like me we can carry a bible that says in first timothy i urge that petitions prayers intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority and while holding a Bible that says we should be praying for our kings and all those in authority, we can hold our Bible while we belittle, condemn, and attack our political leaders just because we disagree with them. That's why I think he and I could be good friends. Because he would carry a Bible where God clearly said to care for and to protect the foreigners that are among you just as I protected and cared for you when you were a foreigner. That's what our Bible says. And yet, and yet we hear this, just get them out of here. Send them back to where they came from. Is that the heart of God? Or will you let me step on your toe just, just, can you let me step on your toe just a little bit? Carry a Bible that says Jesus teaching on the Sermon on the Mount that says to love your enemies, pray for your persecutors, and do good to those who harm you. And so while holding a Bible that says that, we, um, we spew hateful words about abortionists. about people who have same-sex attraction, people struggling with gender identity, and those, here's where the toes come, and even those who have differing opinions than you about gun control. We don't mind spewing hatred, which Jesus says that in your heart you're committing murder. While we hold a Bible that says, love your enemies, pray for your persecutors, and do good to those who harm you. That's why I think Paul and I, before his conversion, we get along real well. Because I love to teach this word, and I love to study this word, and I love to proclaim this word, and I love to share this word, and I love to talk about Jesus, and I will stand. I'll get off this platform, come right down here, and enter into any conversation you want to about the poor uh, the poor in our nation, in our, in our country. All, all the terrible decisions that are being, and I don't agree with the policies. I want you to understand that. I'm not trying to say I agree with those policies. 
But before we talk about how much we hate people, how about we pray for them? And before we go on social media to share exactly how we feel, can, can we ask, have I done any good for them? Have I loved them? I believe churches sometimes, and forgive me for saying this on Memorial Day weekend, but sometimes we use the word patriotism to advance hatred on people who aren't like us. And we use the Bible to belittle sinners who are living and promoting a sinful lifestyle. They're sinners. We expect sinners to sin. That shouldn't surprise us. What should surprise us is that people who have been reclaimed from sin, who have been redeemed who, as we started in Galatians 1 the first week, who have been delivered from this present evil age, what should surprise us is that believers show very little kindness and love, prayer to people who are sinners. I look at that and I think, you know, if we're mean-spirited, uncompassionate, and violent persecutors like the Apostle Paul to people who don't know Jesus, if the people who know Jesus have that kind of a spirit, why would they want to know Jesus? And I'm not saying we shouldn't say the truth. Oh, no. No, the truth is what sets people free. But we speak the truth in love oh we will disagree we have to disagree with the, the 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 way this world is run that's why we again go back to we've not just been delivered from the future of hell we've been delivered from this present evil age right so we don't think like the world anymore. We see beyond today. We see beyond, well, these are just my feelings. We see beyond all that we move and act on. And when we just say, this is what I want. We've been delivered from that. And we live for a greater kingdom, a greater king. Oh, it's so cool. But, but people who don't know Jesus don't understand that. So we have a choice to either speak the truth and love to them or to turn them completely away from Jesus. When you look at Christ, may I ask you, do you ever see him condemning sinners? It's no wonder a lady like Mary Magdalene followed that man everywhere. He set me free. One who was had seven demons and, and they say was a prostitute she followed Jesus she didn't follow the Pharisees that's who Paul was we see Zacchaeus this criminal of sorts who steals from everyone around him 
He wants to see Jesus. And when Jesus, when he meets Jesus, he goes home and his whole life changes. Yes. I mean, when that woman was brought to Jesus in adultery, what did he do? Did he condemn her? He looks at the crowd and says, he, without, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Eventually they all left. He looks at the woman. Lady, where's your accusers? I don't know, Lord. They're all gone. And then what were his words? Neither do I condemn you. He could have. And he would have been fully just. Neither do I condemn you. Is saying those words, what he knew is he'd be taking her sin upon himself. Go and sin no more. Oh, when you experience that kind of love, isn't that what you want? Isn't that what excites your heart? To one who has tasted the sweetness of God's grace, sin becomes bitter. But may I ask you what's more effective in reaching sinners? To point out the bitterness of sin? Or to point out the sweetness of God's grace. I, I realize, church family, we have to be balanced. And I realize there needs to be times where we warn people of the dangers of sin. I'm not trying to say we shouldn't. But our lives should not be, should not be defined by what we stand opposed to. Our lives should be defined by the one we have pledged allegiance to. That is our king. Come on. He saved me. Not by works that I have done, but by his grace. His grace is so good. And I want you to know his grace too. Call me soft. I realize you could and you might. Call me soft. But I believe more Christians, I, I believe more people would follow Jesus if more Christians demonstrated a life displaying the goodness of God than a life opposing the bitterness of sin. And I know we have to at times, church. But for every time we talk about the, the, the wickedness of sin, we should be 10 times talking about the goodness of Jesus and the grace of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus. And I, I, I'm not done. We're going to get through the next two verses, but I'm just going to pause right there today. Just really encourage your hearts. Would you ask the Lord, as we have been these last two weeks, to see his goodness, to see his grace, and to, to move our hearts in such a way that we want it to overflow and, and spill over into the lives of other people. And Jeremy, it's great to see you. I did not know Jeremy. Two weeks ago, Jeremy was here, and I, I pulled him up to the front, and then last week he came, but he hid because he didn't want me coming up front, right? But, uh, man, he came... He came uh, up after the service last week and, and uh, shook my hand. And it's just, I love, man, Jeremy, I love seeing you come back because it's one more reminder of just how good God is.
He is in pursuit of people like Paul. He's in pursuit of sinners. He's in pursuit of Pharisees. Guess what? He's in pursuit of you. And he's going to use you to reach others that he's in pursuit of too. So the question that I just want to leave you with today, are you going to talk about God's grace this week? Talk about his goodness? Or are we going to talk about the bitterness of sin? We need to. We need to be reminded of that. But more than anything, we need to talk about who our Jesus is. Would you pray with me? Trin, would you go to the Oh, Lord, I, I, I know you know that I had prepared to say more than that, but we'll stop right here. Because I feel like that's the message that you wanted to share with the church today. You are a really good God. And you changed this man who he was, man, was he a religious, he was a religious nut. But that was all about him. And you stepped into his life as we'll, we'll read next week in verses 15 and 16. You stepped into his life. And as you stepped into his life, you, you drew him through your grace and you changed this sinner's heart. And, and Lord, you set him on a brand new course. And God, that's what you want to do for each of us as well. Oh man, Jesus, you are so good. You are so good. I pray that, that, Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, doesn't know you as the one who came and entered into this world, the world that rebelled against you, you entered as a baby, helpless. You walked the earth, never one time sinning, never one time going against the will of your Father. You were completely surrendered and submitted, knowing all along that that, that submission and surrender would lead you to a death, a bitter death, where you would face the judgment for all these people you were meeting and that you were forgiving and that you were healing and that you were caring for. You knew you'd be dying for them and you loved them. You even, even met those people who hated the Jews and you loved them. And that love took you to a cross where your grace was so clearly seen because you knew, you knew in that moment that you would look up to your father and he wouldn't be looking down with joy and approval as you have known from all of eternity past for the first time you'd cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it's in that moment you were suffering the sin for this entire world. And your separation from the Father gives us a way to the Father. He doesn't have to turn from us because he turned from you. You went into that tomb you truly 
your body truly laid in a state of death because that was the only way to defeat death. And then that resurrection morning and that stone was rolled away and the angels came and the ladies came and your disciples came and man, they got to see, they got to see the God who had power over death and hell and all of that. All of hell was screaming because it was in that moment you stepped on the head of that serpent and Genesis 3.15 came to fulfillment in that moment. That's awesome. And then you lived for another 40 days here on this earth before you ascended back to the throne where you sit right now. And Lord, you are the king of all. And everything that takes place in our lives, the, the promotion and the, the lack of, the illness, the sickness, the death, the joy, the happiness, the celebration, you, you sit over it all. You are the king. And Lord, our hearts sometimes really struggled. We really sometimes struggle to, to believe that. I know, I know if I believed you were really the king over everything, I wouldn't ever complain again because everything that takes place is under your kingship. But Lord, sometimes I forget that. Would you please forgive me? Would you help us as a church, man, to be so in love, to so celebrate who you are and what you have done, that when we leave from this gathering of, of worship together with one another and, and prayer with one another and, and fellowship with one another and time with one another, Lord, that we are so excited and energized and reminded about who our King is, that as we step outside of these four walls and get into our cars and drive to our homes and tomorrow go to our places of work that the love of Jesus is so clearly evident to people around us that they want to know so, so tell me you're different yeah I'm different because I've been freed from the thinking of this world by the good grace of Jesus it's nothing I've done it's everything he's done for me Oh, man, may our hearts just jump at that and embrace that and, Lord, live to tell that. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just, man, I just want to give you a few moments this morning just to, to pray, to thank Jesus for who he is and for what he's done for you. And what would you tell somebody that Jesus has done for you if you had a chance right now to stand up and say, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you who he is. Let me tell you what he's done. This, this is so awesome. This is so good. He's my God and he's my king. Would you just thank him for those few things? if you're here today you don't know who Jesus is you don't have that personal relationship with him there's nothing you need to do to earn it 
you just come and receive the gift of grace. Now I'm going to stand down here at the, on the floor in just a moment. We're going to stand and sing a closing song. Man, if you'd like to know Jesus, I'd love to introduce you to him. There may be some people who need to confess a little bit about the way that we've been portraying Jesus to people. Would you ask Christ to control your heart, your mind, your mouth this week to speak truth and love? Let's, let's be a church that loves to tell people about our Jesus because he's so good. Father, thank you for who you are and for sending your son. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? And uh, probably for the last time.